okay, great. So we can't, we've filled up this room multiple times over, but what happens when you fill up that? And then you fill up the next one. Mm -hmm. And they like, okay, so at what point do you finally go, okay, we're having thousands of people here, yeah. but a vast majority of them, we don't have a hands-on reality. I mean, I, I remember looking at him one time and saying, you know what? I don't honestly think I can lay my head on my pillow at night and know that the sheep are cared for. Welcome to Faith Backstage. My name is Joey. So grateful to have you guys here. I hope you had an amazing Easter last weekend. Um, I know a lot of you are on staff at churches or high capacity volunteers. And so I hope services went well. I hope all your volunteers confirmed on Planning Center uh, and that everything went according to plan. Really excited about the conversation that I have for you guys today. It's with a guy named Todd Neiswanger. Um, he's currently serving as the lead pastor at Cornerstone Church, which you might have read about if you've ever read a book by Francis Chan. He probably referred to it, or you read about it on the inside flap in his little bio. Um, he's the founding. He was, he was the founder of Cornerstone Church, and um, Todd was a huge part of that process. And when Francis left Cornerstone in 2010, Todd was actually the guy that took over. Um, for Francis. And so he was facing kind of an impossible challenge, which is how do you continue to do the kind of ministry that God is calling you to, that you feel God is calling you to, when half your congregation wants you to, you know, protect and preserve everything that Francis set up and kind of honor that. And the other half wants you to, you know, blow it up, start over, stop living in the past and move on. And my favorite thing about this conversation is that Todd was really open about the fact that he didn't really have an answer to that question and a right answer might not even exist. And he really just embodied the qualities that I love to see in pastors and that I look for, I hope to see in guests on the show, which is humility and honesty and vulnerability and a willingness to look unqualified. I asked Todd point blank during this conversation, did you feel equipped to take on this role? And I've never seen someone so quickly answer, no, absolutely not. So as always, I am endlessly grateful to have you as a listener. It means the world to me that you take the time to listen to this show. It's something that I'm really passionate about. Um, and I hope you enjoy my conversation with Todd Nyswong. So really excited to be joined by two people on the show. One is my brother. How are you doing, Wyatt? Hello. How are we? How are we in podcast land? <laughs> Thank you for being here. Uh, it's a pleasure. Uh, Wyatt's going to be co-piloting uh, this episode with me, which I'm very excited about. Uh, we look a little bit alike. Most people say we look nothing alike, but uh, well, we look nothing alike, but it's what we sound like. Uh, are our voices similar? Our voices are very similar. Not, people aren't going to be able to tell us apart, especially when it goes up. Yeah. Yes, yeah. you guys yeah. have a similar. When I get nervous. I'll talk up here. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Turn to Mickey Mouse. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but we've also got a very special guest, uh, Todd Neiswanger, on the podcast. Thank yeah. you for being here, Todd. Um, I think we met at a wedding once. It was. Uh, I don't it expect was, you to remember that. Well, da Danny Bibelheimer's. Oh, yeah. And Michael Bibelheimer. I think I was DJing or photographing. Or, you probably or just saw my dancing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's what it was. Great, great People, dance moves. Yeah, that's, yeah. It really left an impression on me. I can, yeah. I can tell. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, really great. I'm excited to have a conversation with you. I know that um, the reason that Wyatt's here is uh, you've been on, you were on staff at Cornerstone for several years. I was on staff. I was an intern uh, for, uh, working for Billy Kappen, uh, yeah. who's the worship pastor here. Uh, I started the internship, we'll call it just the internship, um, summer of 2018. Wow. Okay. And I was here through uh, COVID through end of 2020. So December 31st, if you want to be formal about it, was my last day here. For so. sure. 
So yeah. I thought Wyatt would just have some great uh, insight, kind of know what questions to ask a little better than I would, because uh, I'm very familiar with Cornerstone, been around Cornerstone a lot, but it is not my home church. Uh, I'm a guest here. Thank you for having me. No, it's good, good to have you. <laughs> um, I'm excited to have uh, just a conversation about uh, your your ministry, your your past, uh, kind of where you've been, how uh, God has gotten you here, and all, all the places that you've been along the way. Uh, but let's not get carried away. I like to start by asking just kind of about your early life. Where, where does your story start? Where were you Where were you born? Well, I was born in Wyoming. <laughs> Wyoming? <laughs> yeah. Really? No, actually, I was born in Colorado. I, oh. I always have to change that. We moved when I was an infant. We were in the eastern plains of uh, Colorado, but yeah, yeah, b- born and raised there. I was born. My, my parents were great. My family was great. Yeah. Um, they were followers of Jesus. Um, but it's one of those things that even though you grew up in a Christian home, mm-hmm. uh, it doesn't mean that you're a follower of Jesus, right? Yeah. And so for me, it was even though they modeled following Jesus well, I rejected Jesus very early on in my walk with the Lord, yeah. or very early on, and and. Um, and so it was just interesting to be a kid that was that was trying to figure out how to keep parents happy and not freak them out yeah. at the same time while you were kind of you wanted nothing to do with something that was so mm-hmm. passionate to them. Yeah. And and so I think that just always left us in a weird spot relationally because I mean I was I was kind of a fraud from the standpoint that I, I don't want to rock the boat. Yeah. But they also knew that I didn't want to yeah. kind of follow Jesus. Was it an active denial or was it like passive? Like, ah, I don't really care. Like I'm just not, um, my heart's not. It in became this. an active denial. I think just initially I was, all I cared about was sports and girls and, mm-hmm. and what that looked like. And, uh, but over time, I think as you, as you, as you press and process through life, you are kind of forced one way or the other. Like I, I don't care who we are. We kind of can't stay agnostic. I think our whole life on what we're going to do with, with who Jesus is. And so I just pressed the other way. I, I decided to kind of deny following Jesus. I was pretty clear about my denial of following Jesus. But I I am thankful that I had parents that were, they were able to be patient through it. Yeah. You know, and, and understand that, that, uh, that there is a way in which, these things get worked out. And yeah. So do you remember what it was that, that pulled you away? Was it just like vices? Was it just the world? Um, like? There was aspects of that. I think like for me, like I, I think it's just, it's anytime you start to look at the world that's around you, you start to engage in like, why are we here? I mean, that sounds so existential, but, <laughs> um, but it yeah. really was, I just, I was like, eh, the whole God thing just does not make sense to me initially. Mm-hmm. And so at that point then when it didn't make sense, I just made my life, go in the absolute opposite direction. Yeah, absolutely. And so even, I mean, even the reason when I got to college, I pursued mathematics and chemistry was because I thought the answers were inside of like formulating an idea of the world through yeah. how we process it via, I guess, more more objective versus what I felt were subjective truths. Interesting. And so that was that was kind of even why I went the route of, of those two realities. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So where was your career headed? What did you want to do with your life? Yeah, well, I mean, I got, I finished my degree in mathematics and um, I did not want to add numbers for people. That was not something I wanted to do. And so that was why I kind of took on chemistry is I thought, oh, you know, I'll I'll go the route of working in a lab. And that's what I thought. In fact, I had a job interview with this upstart at the time called Amgen, which is, they've done pretty well since then. Um, But after a while, I also knew I didn't want to be in a lab, so I thought I was going to be a teacher, and I actually started teaching for a little while. Yeah. And um, was in a public school, at a private school. Mm-hmm. Uh, both of those I taught at the at the university I was at. 
And so that was the route I thought I was going to go, but um, kind of in the middle of it, that's when all of a sudden kind of the realities of me encountering Jesus really began to shift and mold. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and so it was, it was so funny. I was sitting in a biochemistry class, biochemistry 341. I still remember to this day, and it was Dr. Taints was his name. Mm-hmm. Not a follower of Jesus, but he was kind of questioning current scientific understanding of how the world works. And yeah. whether or not we actually have explanations via via kind of, I guess you would say, kind of from a science vantage point of how life came about, different things. Yeah. And so I just, I sat there going, hey, whoa, time out. Like, I'm devoting my life to this. And now you're kind of undermining how I was beginning to process and evaluate the world. Yeah. And so I left that class. Well, the funniest thing, the next class I took was um, I was going to an evolution class afterwards. Okay. And so I just, I had... I stepped into class and as a joke, I just kind of looked at the professor and I go, Hey, just, you know, Dr. Taint says this class is stupid. I just want you to, you know, and we were just joking (laughs) back and forth. And he said something as we were talking about where did, how did life form? Where did we come from? That seems so illogical to me. And I started pressing the heck out of him Mm -hmm. and just asking tons of questions. Well, in the middle of it, he goes, I don't know, go talk to a theologian. And there was this, there was this guy that always used to sit in the student unit building, a college pastor named Blake. Uh-huh. who I finished that class, I grabbed my books, and I actually sat across from him, and I go, hey, do you have time to talk? Yeah. And we kind of looked at each other. We kind of had seen each other, so it's not like he didn't recognize me. And he goes, yeah, you want to talk about it? I go, well, my evolution professor said I need to find a theologian, and you're the closest thing I have. And, <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. and so from that moment, it was it was him, another guy named Tide Rogers. I was uh, I was... I had a full ride scholarship running track. You know, mm-hmm. There was a trainer that he would always share Jesus with me. Another guy that was a with Campus Crusade, they would share Christ with me, but it yeah. kind of collided in that moment where yeah. he started just opening God's Word. And for the first time, you know, and that's always the role of the Holy Spirit to open our eyes, to begin to understand it. We're enlightened yeah. in that moment. But that was really where, man, the gospel became real. Yeah. Man, we could go really far down this rabbit hole, the question of like science and faith kind of intersecting. I think that's a really interesting topic. Were those two things like in conflict to you? No, I, and yeah, you're talking. This is a rabbit hole. Yeah, we I could know. Go there. I know. I think, like in a weird way, each each pocket has made it in conflict. Like I think actually, yeah. Christians make it in conflict in a way that it doesn't need to be in conflict. And so we have such mm. a fear of science. Yeah. And I think even a lot of the stuff that happened over COVID, Christians by nature have a fear of science, and so therefore, they were kind of. And I'm just in general, like I'm not. Yeah, I'm yeah. not picking on anybody's understanding of things, but but even science, right? The there's, there's, it's so fascinating. Like now I'm getting my PhD in, in historical theology. There was a disconnect that happened in the enlightenment where it used to be a university system, right? So mm-hmm. university where God's the center of it, everything else revolves around theology, the, the, the queen of all sciences. Yeah. And the moment that you removed that, you made them these separate things and they yeah. detached themselves from forcing themselves to kind of explain one another in light of obviously a creator. Yeah. But that's what I mean. It's a rabbit hole. But I think for me, it, it's just the biblical narrative, the more I begin to examine it and understand it, and that's what I went after. I just decided, okay, I'm going to read my Bible. Yeah. And I'm an avid reader. I'm a fast reader. And so within three months, I'd finished the Bible. So I came back to this guy, and I'm just like, okay, I finished it. Like, yeah. you know, what, what do we do now, you know? And, and I saw these guys that were part of a Bible college reading the two volumes of Jonathan Edwards. So I picked mm-hmm. up the two volumes of Jonathan Edwards, and I'm starting to read. I don't understand a thing he was saying. Yeah. I still don't. Um, but there was just this side of it where all of a sudden, it, it's just you understand that the Bible is the only comprehensive understanding 
of this world and perception of this world that we can have. Wow, yeah. And I think that's where the two worlds, they collide in weird ways. So Yeah. But rabbit hole. Yeah, absolutely. The next episode uh, that I'm doing is on young earth versus old earth, not yeah. as a debate, but just like hearing like yeah. from both sides. And it, it's that conversation is fascinating to me, but yeah, uh, there, there's not time right now. Um, I'm curious to kind of dive into like, so it sounds like God was working in you. The Holy spirit yeah. was kind of preparing you. What did that look like of finally giving your life to Christ again? Do, do you, well, first let me ask this. Did you feel, were you still a Christian? Would you still consider yourself a Christian during those years? Like, did you accept Christ at a young, young age? Um, and then I, I went, I, I don't know how you guys were. Did you, did you grow up in church? Oh yeah. yeah, yeah Okay. So right. You're constantly being bombarded. Do you want to say the prayer? Do you want to say the prayer? Do you want to say yeah, the prayer? Yeah, yeah. So my mom says that I said the prayer at an early age. I don't remember it. Yeah. I remember I was at this, I don't, um, it's, it was a midweek kind of Bible thing. Yeah. And, um, I wanted to know what the kids did that raised their hand outside the room. I just yeah. was intrigued by it. I really That's didn't so want to funny. follow Jesus. So, yeah. you know, with every head bowed and every eye closed, nobody looking around, if you want to follow Jesus, raise your yeah, hand, yeah. then you go outside the yeah, room. Yeah, yeah. And you got to see the secret club. Yeah. What's going on in there. Yeah. And even in high school, I gave it one shot. They, these, these group of kids invited me to go to their, their youth ministry. And I, my personality type, I'm either all in or I'm all out. Like yeah. I don't, I don't yeah. kind of do the kind of halfway thing. And so I went there, I had an old King James Bible mm-hmm. And I went ready. Okay, good. Let's go. Let's rock and roll. And I yeah. remember showing up and they're playing games and they're doing different things. Yeah. And, and again, I'm not anti-game. Sure, but, sure, sure. Yeah. But, but for me, I'm like... God hates fun. I've heard that about <laughs> you. I've, I've, hate, I've heard that you're anti-fun. <laughs> I'm just... Yeah. Well, I won't go there. But there's this side of it where I, I, I just realized how, uns- to me anyways, the perception, how unserious these people are. If this is really yeah. as important as it is and you're going to play games with me... And I mean, and again, I, I understand now, you know, totally, yeah. where things were, but I just, that was when I just went, this is stupid. And I yeah. was out and I checked yeah. out. And then, so the re-encountering things again was really where I began to go, oh, wow. Like this does make sense. There is yeah. a comprehensive way in which the Bible allows me to see the world, to rightly now understand how God is, who God is, how we've been created, things like that. Yeah. So, it sounds like, I think people have different pathways that they kind of like connect different pathways. That sounds like all roads lead to yeah, up the <laughs> mountain, right. uh, but, but in connecting with God and it sounds like yours was very intellectual in, in the way that yes. you encountered him. Yeah. Cause I just, I wanted to, I mean, I wanted to understand these things. Like yeah. I, and, and I think even too, like, even after I came to Christ, I started to realize how much Christians try to take very complex issues and we want to simplify them to make ourselves feel better. Yeah. And and for me too, I always thought if there's really a God, there'll be tons of mystery here. But the way that I came into the church was, oh no, there's no mystery. Everything's explainable. You know, we have a yeah. theology for everything. Yeah. But the first time I started to understand that the Bible just allows so much mystery mm-hmm. and so much wonder yeah, yeah, yeah. in who God is, that like, fi- I was like, finally. Yeah. But I kind of had to read it for myself, right? I had to yeah. kind of understand it to kind of grapple with it. But once, once I saw this, this, this God that is unsearchable in his ways, he is, yeah, yeah, yeah. he is beyond. But yet the, the thing that drew me to him was how much the first time through, and I read through the Bible was how much God pursued people. Yeah. Like here's this cosmic God that is pursuing his creation. And that was where it was like, okay, this makes sense. Yeah. Well, where, where do you land after that? Like, where's this first like point so of connection? This is where my wife comes in and she missionary dated. I don't recommend it. Oh, my um, gosh. oh awesome. totally. Like I, the, and the, where everything kind of cranked and turned, 
was I was completely drunk one night at a bar. Um, it was a black student union dance, so all the athletic department had to come. And so here's this at the time. I don't look at it anymore. But um, <laughs> a skinny white runner kid showing up at this thing. And I had a friend who's almost seven feet tall, and he thought, oh, you'll like this girl. So he yeah. grabbed her and grabbed me and said, Todd, Lisa, Lisa, Todd, dance. Mm-hmm. Anyways, the night gets done, and I'm like, you know, hey, so what are you, what are you doing tomorrow? Like, yeah. what's going on? She goes, oh, I'm... I'm going to church. What are you doing? And I totally stepped in and I just said, oh, yeah, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm going to church too. Yeah. She goes, oh, where? And I go, oh, to Grace Bible Church. She goes, that's where I go. The only church I knew in that town, I'm thinking of all the churches. Yeah. She's not going to know that one. Yeah, she's yeah, like, yeah. oh, what service do you go to? And I'm cool. Okay, I'm a math guy, so I got a probability. I got a 50-50 <laughs> shot here. I go to the second service. I do too. <laughs> you sit in the balcony or on the floor? And I saw so I'm like, oh, come on. I sit in the balcony. I, I was busted. She sat in there. And so finally I looked at her. I go, I am totally lying to you. I'm not going to say. But that was really how I started going there because yeah. this hot chick was going there. And so I thought, wow, if this hot chick's gone, yeah. I should probably go explore what the Lord is doing there. Yeah. And uh, so that was kind of where the connection of church and my faith. But it was also where that guy, that that uh, college pastor, was pastoring college students. Yeah, That's awesome. That's cool. So you've, you've come to faith. You're at this point. Uh, well, maybe transition over yeah. to kind of cornerstone and what that is. Where, where do you find yourself that you come to cornerstone church? What was the first entrance into that? So I came out here to go to seminary. I was on staff at a church in Cheyenne, Wyoming. I was a youth pastor there. I'd been there for about six years and I, they kind of, we looked at each other and said, Hey, I think it's time for you to go to seminary. Mm. I didn't know kind of where to go, but I knew my best friend had a house over in Northridge, what we were talking about before, yeah. we, before we came on. And he said, you can have my pool house. You can live there for whatever you want to pay me. So I'm like, okay, I'll find a seminary close to you. And it was, so it was master's seminary. And, um, so I'm sitting in this Greek class with a guy named Doug Fox, who was the executive pastor here at the time. And I said, man, we've been having a hard time finding a local church. We tried all kinds of different churches that people tell us to go to. And I go, where are you, where are you pastoring? He goes, Cornerstone. And I go, oh, and my wife and I will have to check it out. You know, like, where is it? And he goes, oh, it's Simi Valley. Well, my only understanding of Simi Valley to this point was from the movie Joe Dirt. <coughs> Joe Dirt. Yeah, that's oh how gosh. I thought Simi Valley. Yeah. So I'm like, so I looked at him. I go, oh, 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 it's like Joe Dirt, Simi Valley. He goes, yeah. And I go, well, we'll come check it out. He goes, I don't know if you'd want to come. <laughs> and a lot of it is it's just because Master Seminary guys mm. weren't clicking, even though Francis was was from Master Seminary. Yeah, it wasn't exactly the the, the place that Masters men yeah. go to. But we came. Um, I remember sitting in the first few sermons. I mean. And I, I've told Francis this, but it's it's funny. They were the worst for they were the worst four sermons I've ever heard him preach in my life. They were they they, they were literally funny. terrible. Yeah. And and he would I don't know if he would admit it, so you'd have to ask him. But but I the thing that stuck to me was just the people. Mm. That was what drew me in. I was like, okay, I could my wife and I could devote ourselves here. Yeah. So came in, just became a part of Cornerstone. Um, then this Doug guy said, well, why don't you do our membership? Mm-hmm. And then the guy that was the college pastor at the time, a guy named Chuck, he said, well, why not? You're a youth pastor. Why not? Our youth pastor's moving on. Why don't you come in? And I'm like, oh, no, no, I'm going to get my yeah. degree. I'm going back to Colorado, Wyoming, Montana. Oh, interesting. Oh, I did not want to live here. There's nothing appealing. I'm, <laughs> I'm cool now. Sure, sure, sure. But that was one of the big the big things is coming in, becoming the high school pastor. And then yeah. that's, kind of, that's kind of how I landed here was that route. Wow. Stage was set in uh, youth ministry. Yeah. I, I feel like the memes, the memes tell so many stories <laughs> yeah. about the senior pastor that transitions yeah, out of youth yeah. pastor yeah. leadership. <laughs> Never <laughs> happens. Yeah, 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 it's, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. such a rare path. Mm-hmm. Yeah, How funny. Yeah. That's really interesting. 
Okay, so you're the youth pastor at the time. Do you roughly what 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 year was this? 2003. 2003. 2003. Okay, and Cornerstone Church at the time, could you give maybe a little explanation, a little understanding of where was the church at, either, you know, attendance-wise, um just what groups, what ministries, like what was the church starting to look like at this time? I mean, it was it was forming into a true mega church, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it it was it had to be honest with you, I don't even know how many, nobody knew how many yeah. people were here. So I don't even know. There were thousands, I can tell you that. Hmm. And um, and so you come into it, and it was the classic mega church. It was the classic example of what came out of the 90s and 2000s of what church should look like. Hmm. Um, generally, you get a good communicator, and Francis, he was okay. <laughs> um, uh, he greatly improved from those four sermons. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's done okay in that whole yeah. preaching category. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you get a great, you get great music. You get a great children's ministry. You get a good yeah. student ministry. Yeah. Right? You have men's ministry, women's ministry, and then you kind of mix them around this great communicator, and then voila, what you have is a mega church. And so, whether you're talking Francis or, you know, a, a, at the time a Mark Driscoll or sure. you know, yeah. some of these big names, that's how you formed a, a church. You really formed it around a person, yeah, kind of that lead guy. Yeah. And so that would have been how Cornerstone would have been characterized. I think the reason you generally came to Cornerstone yeah. was, oh, I like Francis. Yeah. That's well, fun. and forgive me if this is a stupid question, but Francis, did Francis found Cornerstone? Mm-hmm. He started Cornerstone. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, he did. Started as like a small life group. House it started out of a it started out of a of a living room. Yeah. Yeah. As and many churches do. Yep. Wild. Yeah. Yeah. The history of Cornerstone is very interesting. Very interesting. So you're so you're sitting in the youth pastor role in about 2003. The church is growing. Um, there is a draw because of Francis, which is clearly. I mean, I never was attending Cornerstone while Francis was pastor, but I mean, you can just you know hear people stories of people that were here before, yeah. kind of talking about that draw to Francis. Yeah. Um, what are you are you sitting in this position of youth pastor, hoping? I mean, you kind of shared you were hoping to go back home, but I mean, here we are in 2022, and you're the lead pastor. So, what was maybe the next? I guess what we would call it, you know, career step in within Cornerstone that you took that you uh, that you yeah I don't know if you sought it out yeah. if it was sought out for you or what was the that? first thing Francis came and said, hey, we're starting this Bible college, and hmm. I, w- would you want to be the president? I started laughing because I'm like, you got to be kidding me, dude. I'm a youth pastor. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. And so I said, you know, no, I'm not going to be the president of a upstart Bible college. But yeah. I was actually looking to go plant a church in, in Utah. Mm-hmm. And so we'd actually gone and explored there. Oh, I wow. think I've always been intrigued by how you would engage with good news in and through the Mormon community. And so I... That's fascinating. So we were yeah. kind of looking out there. I came back. Francis sat me down. You know, he's like, hey, you know, the man, the Lord lead you anywhere. I'm talking like Francis, right? Used to talk. Yeah. I need to just start talking <laughs> normal. Best Francis impression. Well, no, I won't go there. Um, but, um, but in it, I just, yeah, you know, like, man, we're, we're very open and we're kind of still praying and wrestling and there's yeah. no town or anything yet. And he goes, well, good, good. Because I, I think you need to be the executive pastor. Wow. Get out. And so I'm That's like wild. thinking to myself, executive pastor, like I can't organize myself out of a, <laughs> a you know, out of a, out of a, a box. And yeah. And he's like, no, no, no. Like, I got this idea of what it'll look like. I go, dude, you and I will kill this church. There is no way you and I should be doing this. I go, because there is no breaks on either one of us. Like, mm, you probably need somebody that has more breaks. So anyways, we prayed and wrestled through it. And so I did take on that role as executive pastor. And in some ways, it was it was good for me to do that because Francis was gone a lot. He was traveling, speaking. Yeah. And so it allowed me to be more pastoral versus like maybe what would be more of a traditional executive pastor. Yeah. I was way more engaged in the life of 
of maybe how a lead pastor might look just because he was yeah you know he was pretty I mean, he was, people wanted him to come speak a lot at different things what what year did crazy love come out do you know off the top of your head? It's okay if you don't. Okay. I don't know, to be honest with you. I remember reading a lot of the first drafts of it, you know, when I was That's in... That's crazy to think about. Wow. Yeah, it was. It was pretty... The first draft I read was when I was in Uganda, and I, I still remember to this day, you know, and so it was, That's, it was really crazy. cool to... It was kind of a best of Francis yeah. sermon series through it. Yeah. It was so, May, May 1st, 2008. That so is me and my wife's anniversary. That's oh, funny. Wow. <laughs> Um, and were, so as far as the executive pastor role, were you filling someone's shoes or was it a, a new role? So that guy, Doug, that I told you about that, yeah. okay. was, he, he was who I filled his role. Gotcha. He, okay. he left to go plant a church in Texas. And so gotcha. that was when I stepped in and, uh, kind of started to engage in that particular okay. role within Corners. Yeah. What were some of the conversations that were, that you guys were having, um, in the time that you were the executive pastor, Francis, um, was the, of course the lead pastor. What was the direction of the church like the like you know you're seeing this church that has grown exponentially um and what are these conversations that you're having around you know this table actually um that's funny like what like what what are the conversations what are what are you guys saying this is a value this isn't a value what are some of those things well i think like early on both francis and i the, the thing i love about francis is that um even though like he could have been that leader that maybe stretched into what we saw as like a Driscoll, you know, or yeah. stretched into like a McDonald's, these different guys. Yeah. The thing that I love about that guy is there is such a humility and there mm-hmm. is such a passionate love of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And and also the other thing is just a passionate love of scripture. And as we were looking at scripture, the difficulty each of us were facing is, as we were looking at this mega church and going, is this what Jesus dreamed up when he announced the great commission? And sure, we didn't yeah. have any answers for it at the time. It's not like we were like, oh, and so therefore, you know, <laughs> we'll, yeah, yeah, we'll, yeah. we'll create what we need to create. But it, yeah. a lot of those conversations were, are we, are we convinced this is what it's supposed to be? Yeah. And so as we sat and wrestled and talked, I think just the shimmer and shine of a, a mega church that you used to kind of have, maybe like what it would be in the 90s, you know, after all of us let, read, um, oh, what was the guy down in Saddleback's church? Rick Warren? Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Whatever his book was. Purpose-driven Church. Yeah. 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 You know, you you read that and you're like, oh, okay, wow. Yeah. Saddleback see me, you know? And, yeah. And, um, <laughs> yeah. and I think it's just, and that's, again, what I love about him is we were just looking at scripture going, is, is this honestly what it is, number one? And number two, we were coming to this realization that just because people were here doesn't mean they're being discipled. Totally. And so at the end of the day, great, we have this mega church, um, you have a a, a passionate follower of Jesus. I love that he was a great communicator because yeah. talk about sincerity and yeah. love. I'm like, okay, that's the guy you would want to put in that frame. Yeah. But at the same time, I think if we were honest with each other and we were honest with others, we were seeing what we might call conversion, mm-hmm. but we weren't seeing people saying, yeah. okay, now what does it look like to follow King Jesus wherever he goes? Other yeah. than, on journeys, we'd go on, you know, I'd see people go on these massive journeys for Jesus in short term. And then there were, I got to be careful with that. Let me, let me rewind that. Sure. There were people really following Jesus, doing some cool things. Yeah. But I think like once you got past a certain group of people and you worked down into the rest of the church, you didn't see that. Yeah. It was, hey, Francis, make us laugh. Hey, Francis, make mm. us think. Hey, Francis, make yeah. us. And then I'll go do men's ministry, women's ministry, my kids so that you know they don't do drugs and have sex and listen to rock and roll. They'll go to high school ministry. And, and so I think there was just never this idea of a clarity. What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus 
who makes disciples of Jesus, who then in turn, right, makes disciples of Jesus, that true call of God in Matthew 28. And so that, that caused us to start going, what are we going to do? We had just bought a piece of property. We bought like 150 right. acres. Mount McCoy? Mount McCoy. It was off Madeira, right by the star, uh, Target, correct? If I'm not mistaken. Uh, yeah, you take Kinda that up, back up in that. there, yeah. you know, huh. back towards that golfing, uh, towards whatever, Gal Tirahata. Yeah, Tirahata, yeah. yeah. And um, it, all of a sudden we just had this quandary, like, okay, great. So we can't, we filled up this room multiple times over, but what happens when you fill up that? And then you fill up the next one. Mm-hmm. And they like, okay, so at what point do you finally go, okay, we're having thousands of people here, yeah. but a vast majority of them, we don't have a hands-on reality. I mean, I, I remember looking at him one time and saying, you know what? I don't honestly think I can lay my head on my pillow at night and know that the sheep are cared for like they're supposed to be cared yeah. for. And so we just, it started us all on a journey of going, okay, what then does this, what does this look like? And yeah. how do we get there? And the hard part is most of us were never trained yeah. in how to, like this sounds so bad, yeah, okay, yeah. but but just to be kind of honest, I knew how to parse verbs in Greek. I knew how to tear <laughs> apart Hebrew. I knew how to put together a sermon. But did we honestly know what it looked like to walk with people and help them learn what it means to be a, an authentic disciple of Jesus. Yeah. Was, is it better? I, I guess appealing to like your ministry experience now, is it better to have someone in a church present coming every week who's not, who's passive, who's not passionate about their faith than to not have them there at all? I think Jesus would say like, go, like, go get your sin. It's like, I mean, I, yeah. if you're not going to follow me, yeah. right? And, and and I'm not trying to be, I feel like I, it's never bad that God's word is being proclaimed to the lives of people. But yeah. I think in many ways, if you're not careful, you're creating these people that have such a misunderstanding of what it means to follow Jesus mm-hmm. because they're only way in which they're piecing together their walk with Christ is in and through a weekend engagement. Right. And so I think what happens is in Francis, this is what he's so good at. He, I mean, he would, he would force you to make decisions in your heart, man. You're sitting yeah. there, you know, it's like, yeah, I yeah. did, man. I, I committed this sin. <laughs> you know, you're just, I'm sitting yeah. there crying on a regular basis and I don't even know why sometimes. But there's just this side of it where then it became this like weird thing where people were living their faith through Francis. There wasn't this way in which they were capturing and and understanding that God wanted to do something through them. Now, again, not everybody. I got to be careful saying that because there were really, yeah, God, yeah, yeah. man, he empowered a group of people. But I would say that was the group that we would have probably been making disciples with in the first place. But because these people weren't getting our time, I believe we weren't doing an effective job of taking the people that wanted to be there and wanted oh, wow. to follow Jesus because we're yeah. putting our time down into, at best, nominal followers of Jesus and potentially even people that that weren't even followers of Jesus. Yeah. And so that was, again, there was just all these dilemmas that you're kind of wrestling through and, but you don't have the answers. Yeah. Todd, is there a point? And I want to know if there was like either a starting point because I've seen, you know, sermons that Francis has spoken, but is there, there's a point where this starts to become very openly discussed from the pulpit um, where Francis begins to take the stage and saying, things, you know, like exactly what you're saying, the things that you're wrestling with began to be spoken from the pulpit. Um, 
when was that happening? I mean, when did that start happening? Was it always it a was message? Towards the end before yeah. he left. Yeah. And I mean, again, and that's what I love about Francis. He, there's no, he doesn't hide where he's thinking, what's going yeah. on. <laughs> yeah. He's, um, he's, he's, I love his authenticity. And, yeah. and so as he's communicating that, I, I would say there's a plus and a minus to it. The plus was where you're being honest. The, yeah. the, the minus yeah. is, well, then why have you told me to hit this target for the last 20 years? Like you, you mm. told me if we, if we go build a big church and we gather all these people, that's success. Yeah. And, and again, I don't, we all did it. So I'm not trying to, to bash any one of us, but it, it was almost like we'd been, I don't know, we'd, we'd been playing a certain game. We'd been playing baseball and suddenly it's like, oh crap, we should probably play lacrosse. Yeah. Um, we kind of were playing the thing, but man, it, it should look differently in how it's, it's carrying itself out. And so he was very transparent yeah. and like I, and again, that I, I so appreciate, I've always loved that about him. You don't wonder what Francis is wrestling through or thinking. <laughs> yeah. He lives out his faith in front of people so beautifully and, and passionately, but there was a side of it that I think the negative is, is you're now saying we were wrong, but we don't have a good answer for you. Wow. Interesting. And that leaves somebody that's out listening to you going, what do, what do you mean? <laughs> yeah. You're, you're Francis, you're the Bible answer man. You're, <laughs> you have all the answers, dude. You, yeah. you know, and, and I think for all of us, we were just going, okay, what does this then, what is this supposed to look like? Yeah. What are we supposed to be doing? And that's sad that guys have been in ministry that long, been in seminary trained. But I think you, again, I'm not anti preaching what I'm about to say, but yeah. I think you started to see the, the deficiency of like just a speaking ministry. Um, mm. You can only move people so much in that way. You can only help people understand so much. There's this another side of it yeah. that we were realizing that, wow, we've, we need to elevate other important aspects of yeah. what Scripture lays out on what the church is supposed to be and what we are supposed to engage in. And so that was, that was a really, it was weird. It was fun and scary and... Yeah. Um, but that was our that was our real quandary. Well, it's, it's it's such an like you said it's such an interesting dilemma of like you have people people are coming and for so many young pastors and maybe even old pastors that's the goal is atten- how do we increase attendance how do we get more people to be coming you guys had you know troves of people that were showing up and you're like all right what do we what do we do with them now like yeah. is this do we even want want them here? I guess that's a weird way to put it. But well, I mean, <laughs> I think I can say this on video now. Yeah. <laughs> um, but there were even he and I even had conversations. Do we just do we just shut the whole thing down? Huh? Like yeah. I remember he and I sitting in his office and going, "Is the best thing for this just to shut the whole thing down?" Wow. And 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 kind of let people because there's other great churches in this area. It's not yeah. like we're the only show in town, right? There's yeah. really great churches in this area. And so it, do we need to go, look, let us help you find a different place. But we both realized, too, that's kind of sad that you get people moving down a direction and then go, oh, never mind. No, yeah, never yeah. mind. Like, we're <laughs> going we're gonna to go try something yeah. new. But there's another side of it where we really were going is the best thing to do because we've created such a machine. And, mm. and the way I always put it, I think so much of the mega church. you guys know what a Rube Goldberg machine is? That it's, rings a bell. Okay, it's like you push one thing, it hits something else, hits something else, dong, 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 it goes all over the place. And at the very end, it does an action for you, like turns on the toast or... <laughs> oh, that's funny. And that's I funny. feel like the church is, is really, it's a giant Rube Goldberg machine. Where oh, we wow, get, yeah. We go a million miles an hour. At the end of it, it's like... 
<laughs> Whereas we could have used all that energy for such different kingdom purposes, sure. but because we were doing all these things and feeling good that we were doing things. But at the end of the day, when you looked at what really got accomplished, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you, it was just hard, you know, and, and yeah. the great things were happening. I like, I got, I got a caveat that I loved seeing what God was doing and it was, it was a rush, man. It yeah. was, we were going a million miles an hour with our hair on fire. Yeah. But there's another side of it that just because you're going a million miles an hour doesn't mean you're necessarily moving in the right direction. Sure. And so that was a lot of the kind of come to Jesus moment we had to, we had to have. Yeah. So all of these, um, you're wrestling with all of that. And then is it introduced to you? I know from the stories, of course, that Francis's departure was sudden in nature, but was there conversations, was this like maybe the leading reason for maybe Francis thing? Like, Hey, I need to, I, I'm, I'm out well, of I just told you we were both thinking. Yeah. You both were saying, you both were like, Hey, let's, let's shut this thing and down. Not because we didn't love the people no, of course. or anything yeah. like that. It was just somebody at some point had to say this whole monolithic mega church movement. Yeah. <clears throat> we have to call it for what it is. Yeah. There's a there's not that there's not good things happening, but I think what happened in that time period of the megachurch movement was not healthy necessarily for mm-hmm. what happened in kind of Christendom as a whole. Yeah, um, there were good aspects, but it there was a lot of unhealthy things that happened as well. It allowed, like we talked about earlier, you know, a, a Driscoll to raise into a position mm-hmm. just because a great communicator, <clears throat> um, highly full of energy. Yeah. But yet we're raising these guys up <coughs> based upon their ability, not their character, not the authentic work of Jesus in their life. Sure. And so. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. So the transition, I really want to focus on like where you were at as far as the transition goes. Like where was your mind at? Where was your yeah. heart at? Like what were you feeling? Yeah. I. Gosh, you know, it just. There were so many things going on, but I remember we were sitting at uh, over at Panera, oh, okay, yeah. and that was the yeah. first time he kind of laid out to me. He goes, "I think it's time to go." Yeah, and uh, he goes, "I just think I am not. I'm not good for this church." And he wasn't saying it that he wasn't a good shepherd or he wasn't mm. a healthy follower of Jesus. It's just he finally, I think, came to that point where I don't know if it's good for there to be this such a focus on one individual, mm. and because again, humble dude, like he. He didn't need it. Like, I think some pastors need that attention. Sure. They need to be the center of everything. As if we've learned lately, Francis doesn't need it. I mean, he mm-hmm. just, he so wants to see the gospel move forward in the lives of people. <clears throat> and so he, he sat me down and just said, I think it's time to go. And, you know, we sat down with the rest of the elders and I, I remember them all. I guess I was less shocked. I guess I kind of expected it to happen. I just, it was not a matter of if, it was when. Yeah. But for the rest of the elders, I can remember him sitting there going, what? You know, and, and and at that moment, it was the first time I think I ever realized um, I've got to shepherd these guys through this process. Wow. And, um, and not because I felt I was the greatest guy in the world to do it. It was just, okay, I've had longer to process what was going on. And so I yeah. don't have as much shell shock. So I can step into this now and go, okay, whoa, time out. Like, don't lose our heads. Like, Jesus is not stepping off his throne, even though, yeah. you know, Francis is not going to be on the stage. Yeah. And um, I think that was the first time maybe I saw even myself being like, 
leading, you know, in that kind of a way with other leaders. And so, yeah. Did you feel, did you feel qualified? Did you feel no. equipped? <laughs> no, it, it's it, but it's that thing where as he's exiting, everybody wants you to look confident. And my problem yeah. is, is I don't, I don't have a good poker face either. <laughs> <laughs> and so I just remember like thinking, and especially in my prayer times, just going, okay, Lord, I have no clue what to do. Because I, yeah. I didn't. Yeah. And I would even tell people, wow. I don't know what to do. And I think my first sermon, I have to go back and listen to it again. I think I actually said that. I don't know, I don't know what I'm doing, Yeah, which is very comforting for people. Um, but I just, <laughs> I remember just sitting there going, okay, Lord, just show me the next step. Yeah. Like, what's the next thing that you want wow. me to do? Like, what's, don't, don't think down the road. Um, don't worry about the peripheral stuff. You know, and, and it and the moment he announced he was leaving, within the awkward Christian pop, pop culture, right? It just you know, Francis is leaving. Yeah, and, and uh, Mickey Mouse has left Disneyland. <laughs> essentially. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, and the internet's uh, full steam at that point, like yeah. blogs. Oh, and, and, big well, and it's time. yeah, and that's the start of the internet too, in yeah, a sense, yeah. or start of the blog world, social media, yeah, social media, all that. I remember I got a phone call. I was I was sitting there one day going, "What are you going to do? How are you going to leave?" And all of a sudden they go, yeah, you got a phone call from, I don't remember the guy's name. And I go, oh, and I didn't think about it. I picked it up and I'm like, oh, you know, hi, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, this is so-and-so from Christianity Today. And I'm just like, <laughs> wow, no. You know, and so he's like wanted to ask if I can ask. No, you can't. Like, actually, yeah. no. Like, we've actually made our statement. You can totally yeah. there. Because everybody was looking for some hidden reason for why Francis left. Mm. Oh, and, that's so gross. Oh, it's, uh, well, yeah, and suspendable. again, I think it's because the sad thing is we've made we've done gross things as the church, right? Yeah. And so we've kind of, sadly, leaders have have created that storm. And so when you have a guy like Francis, who's just sincere going, I got to go figure this thing out. You know, yeah. he was, it was really, I mean, I could tell he, he wanted to go on walkabout. He <laughs> just wanted to go kind of wrestle through things and, yeah. and, and land. And, and um, yeah. I think that was where it was just, it was that, again, it just, it was that gross thing again, where it's like, wow, a person can get to that point where everything goes a buzz just because he says, I need to go kind of figure some things out. Yeah. And so it was, it was weird. It was such a weird time. I mean, it was bizarre. Um, and, and then you're having to deal with that while you're dealing with trying to shepherd people through the process. Right. Yeah. And, and so I think even, you know, if you ask if I was prepared, I had no clue what to be prepared for. I had never met anybody that, kind of a national pastor had walked away from their church and now here's the game plan, you know, and what you're supposed to do once a national figure walks away. Yeah. And you know, you're, you know, deep in your heart, you're not a national figure. Like you, I, you didn't learn that in seminary? Yeah. <laughs> well, that was the, that was for my THM. I only got my uh, MDiv. Yeah, sure. yeah. If I would have just stayed a little bit longer, I would have got that. Here's what you do in a, yeah, but national <clears throat> New York Times bestselling author. And I would say a vast majority of churches, you know, they just, they try to be the same thing they were before. They just go try to find a replica of yeah. that person. And I'm not a replica of mm. Francis in any stretch. And I was very honest with everybody. I'm not a replica of Francis. You know, it's yeah. like, and so even as we were thinking through, do we go find somebody? What do we do? And then it was kind of determined, hey, dude, we think you're supposed to do this. It was that reality of going, hey, but just to be clear, I'm not Asian. I don't have big <laughs> hands. <clears throat> I'm not 5'3". I'm 6'2". Yeah. And so in that, it was like, you know, that was probably the hardest thing for me to make sure, look, I, I'm not, I'm not him. 
Um, and that was kind of interesting. Yeah. You know, I'm Joy, I'm reflecting on, because we were, we were at Rocky Peak as kids growing up. And I remember yeah. when Mike Yearly, you mm-hmm. know, took over the role yeah. of Dave Miller. Dave Miller. Thought, right? Yeah, yeah. I remember it. Be- I remember it being very much like Mike Healy comes in, he casts his vision for the church and, you know, move, you know, move on. I was young, we were young, but yeah. you know, it moves forward. This feels so much different than just you're moving on to the next senior pastor. This, this, what you're, what you're discussing is you, what you just said. I mean, you have a national pastor, you have someone that's, you know, critically acclaimed, um, best-selling author. I mean, where, where, I guess my question for you and all this, and you've kind of touched at it, but like, what is you as you're sitting in this now lead pastor role? What's your vision moving forward? Like, what are you like? Okay, this is where the church is going to go because, and I'm curious. I don't want to assume, but of course, there's maybe a thought that all of these Francis followers, I think, is maybe what they've been coined over the years. <laughs> of course, they're going to leave because they're there for Francis. But I, you know, my, I might be asking too many questions here. <laughs> I am new to the podcast, of course. <clears throat> no, I think I've counted three questions in yeah. this right now. So. <laughs> What's one question? You can choose one of those three questions there, Todd. How about that? Dealer's choice. Yeah. How about if I speak in general to all of them? Sure. Yeah. Is that okay? Can I try? I'll try. Did you get what I was saying though? You got the message. Okay. Yeah. I mean, one of the ways that I've loved how God built me in my background is one aspect of sports is you have to learn to forget. And you have to mm. learn how to not like, I just remember one time I was sitting with a guy, he's the, he was the U S open champion in golf. And we were, we developed a friendship and I was asking him like, what makes a great golfer? Mm-hmm. And he said this statement to me that caught me. He said, the ability to forget your last shot, no matter how good or, or terrible it was, you have to oh. always focus on your next shot. Mm-hmm. And I think in some ways, like that's kind of how God has formed me. There's a downside and upside to that, which I don't really want to go into because then I'd be exposing myself too much. But, <laughs> um, but it, there is a side of it where it was just like, I tend, I tend to not look back very well. We're, we did that. We're done. Yeah. How do we move forward? What's our next shot? What's the next thing we're supposed to do? And we had already developed a, actually a, where we wanted to go. And um, that was where Francis actually felt, I don't think I'm the, I'm the right guy to lead through that. And oh, that's so, interesting. That's interesting. Yeah. And so he just said, I think you're, I think you're the guy that's the best person to lead through that. Yeah. But at the same time, there were so many, like, even though like that was maybe a good aspect of me, you also see your inadequacies and your shortcomings highlighted in that moment. Right. And so while that might've been a good aspect of me, I, there were other aspects where I just, um, I was really caught flat footed, um, Mm. as far as like how to now lead through that. And what does that look like to lead through that? And so it took me a long time. I feel like um, to, to get my footing in certain areas, like how to really lead and, and to, to kind of help people work through aspects of, okay, how do we get there? And, um, how do we work as a team, right. To be able to accomplish that. And so I think there were issues of fear of people that I had to work through. There were, Mm. um, I think there were issues of, um, fear of failure, um, that was really big time in there. Sure. And so that was, as these people are leaving, on one level, I'm able to, because I'm able to forget my last shot. I'm really, my personality type's like, well, goodbye, zoom tight. I hope everything turns out well. Yeah. And that, again, there were certain aspects of how God made me that way. But then there's other aspects where, as a, you know, an athlete is a high achiever, failure's awful. Yeah. And so you can also deal with like, oh, great. Like, I'm going to, I'm going to, sh- I'm going to sink the, the good ship Francis and, and, uh, <laughs> 
And so there's just there was a lot of turmoil going on inside of me, and all the while not knowing who to talk through to through yeah. it. Um, so it was a very weird time. Yeah. And so as you watch these Francis followers, to be honest with you, I'm like, okay, go. Like I, yeah. and I don't mean it mean spirited. It's just like it's man, go because we got we got things to do. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, it also then I have a quandary in me going, oh, you failure, and yeah. like how you get that. You said something, you said it in a joking way, but like you said the good ship Francis, like you've been entrusted with, right? Which is like, I'm sure not your perception of it, but I think people's probably perception of you was like, how, like you're piloting, piloting the ship, you're steering the ship, whatever, captaining whatever, captaining the ship. The ship. It, it's like, people are like, you've been entrusted with this thing. And it's like, so I guess, how do you almost correct people's expectations because they're they're placing mm. expectations on you like crazy of what they think you should do, which programs you should keep, what ministries you should start doing, what you should teach on, what the style, mm-hmm. the tone, all of that. How do you almost like synthesize all of that and then hear from God, this is the direction that we're going? How do you do that? I, I mean, <laughs> yeah, Joey, can you give the answer for the team? I'm sure we'd all love to hear what you have to say. What's the answer? <laughs> I'm sitting here. It's yeah. a hard question. Well, yeah. I just, An and again, question, I did maybe. so many things that like, I look back on and go, oh, okay, that was, and, and I don't like, I don't see them as sinful decisions, but there were, yeah. you, you only have a capacity of wisdom that you have a capacity for. And so sure, I didn't, yeah. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know what I was doing other than yeah. I had God's word and I had some aspects of background. And so as I'm yeah. wrestling through these concepts, it really was, I knew that the type of leader I wanted to be is I did not want to form a church that revolved around a person again. Like that was sure. so passionate for me. Sure. And so therefore we weren't going to have a single lone communicator, just one person that was going to communicate all the time in which people could then live their faith through that particular person that we did. No, we were going to create teams of people that we were going to engage this so that when people heard people preach, they may attach more to one person or the other but they were going to learn that, no, when, when we bring to bear God's word, it's God's word, man. And yeah. these are godly people that are bringing to bear God's word. And you, we will not revolve ourselves around a singular personality. Yeah. The hard part is those many people, you know, kind of like the Israelites, we want a king. We, we want that f- person to personify mm. what our group is so that I can say, oh, I go to Francis's church or I go to, yeah. you know, Mike Yearly's church, you know, kind of brought him up or... John McCarthy, whoever, you know, pick a person. Yeah. But for me, I mean, actually, my first sermon was all about this. This is not my church. Yeah. And it's not Francis's church. This is Jesus's church. And we're going to learn what it looks like for this to truly be Jesus' church. Now, I was highly naive when I said that. Like, it sounds, it preaches well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I had no clue what it meant to take a church that had years and years of great things, uh, baggage, and go, okay, now we're going to turn it. And I didn't realize how long that would take. Mm. Um, I didn't realize like how many visions. I mean, the thing that was so fun about Francis, he had a new vision every week, you know? I mean, he's like, you know, next week we're going to solve world hunger. And then the week (laughs) after that, you know, the gospel is going to spread. And then we're going to start a Bible college. And and I, you know, I'm facetious a little bit. But there's just this side of it, though, that I didn't realize how many old visions I had to shut down and how many people were attached to those old visions. And so as you shut down an old vision, yeah. now all of a sudden there's people attached maybe to Francis, but that vision. Mm-hmm. And so the moment you come in and say, well, this is no longer like going to be a, a, a major vision of what we're trying to accomplish. Yeah. That then also dislodged people. 
But in order to capture a new vision, you got to shut down old vision because you can't sustain yourself. Sure. That was the downside of Cornerstone is we had no central vision of what we were trying to accomplish. Yeah. Um, and I'm not saying that to bag on me or Francis or anybody. It's just we had a bunch of visions and a bunch of people attached to all these visions. But yeah. in order to get where we needed to go, I had no clue how much work it is to shut down old visions. So yeah. I remember one elder going, you know, hey, when are we going to really establish where we're going? I go, it'd be nice, wouldn't it? But I've got to go shut down, a, figure out how to shut down uh, this thing that we started and this thing that we started. I got to figure out, I got a Bible college, I got a piece of property, I've got yeah. all these different things that were the old vision of Cornerstone. And before we can actually press forward, we got to shut it down. And not only were people attached to that, but staff were attached to those old visions. Sure. And so the moment you shut down an aspect of the vision to which they came to Cornerstone over, it it, it created tons of conflict and and difficulty, and uh, you had ways in which we were wrestling through theological issues, we were wrestling through philosophical issues, and so because everything was centering around Francis, your fil- your philosophy, your theology was always just around him, yeah. and so that's where it was. Well, now all of a sudden when he's gone, you're left there with so many loose ends, Yeah. and so how, how do you go now about shepherding people and helping people get from point A to point B as they walk with Jesus? as you shut down so many old aspects of it. Yeah. And so it was really, it was a, um, it, it was such a weird time looking back on it now. Yeah. I didn't see it at the time because yeah. I was kind of thinking one step at a time, but it was, it was weird. There's a lot of reasons people go to church. I mean, I think personality is a big one. And like you were saying with, especially in that era, it's still true today. There's plenty of mega church celebrity famous mm-hmm. pastors today. Um, but yeah, personalities, specific programs, like ministries that are happening, that people want to be involved in. Um, just the people, like a lot of people feel safe in a church community, in a church body. They know everybody. They, you know, there's yeah. familiarity there. Um, maybe it's the campus. Like at Rocky Peak, we have a really beautiful campus. A lot of people are like, just love being there for that reason. Yeah. You know? So there's a lot of things. What I'm getting at is there's a lot of reasons people would be at a church other than to pursue, to follow God, to, mm-hmm. to be a disciple um, of Jesus. And so I can, I can just relate. That's, that's, yeah. that's tough. And, and parsing which one, yeah. What to, what to keep and what to, what to, like you said, shut down. Yeah. I mean, it was constantly a dilemma. I mean, what's funny is, is like, like I said, Francis always was after a new vision. We had set out to do communities and we were starting to pocket communities by neighborhoods within corner, within Simi Valley. We were, we were all ready to go on that. And, and my big thing was let's, this is a grassroots movement. We, we let it develop a yeah. life of its own. You don't force it. You, you, you have to let it kind of be uh, kind of, I don't know, cultured at that time and allowed it to grow. But for Francis, man, and again, it was the joy of the fun of him, but then also like these times where it's like, he, he doesn't move in first gear, right? It's yeah. like, man, for him, everything, you move it forward. And so we, we moved forward this thing called communities and in it, we, we lost, I don't even know how many people that said, oh, we don't want that. Hmm. Um, we didn't come to Cornerstone for that. We walked hundreds of people out that were in a greater radius of like 15 miles or so from Cornerstone. We were trying to help them find local churches so that we could get them in these healthy places where they could have communal life together. And so that was all going on. And at the same time, that's when Francis decides, Hey, I I think it's, it's probably my time to leave. Hmm. And so you're already experiencing this bloodlet of people that are attached again to so many different things. And and so that was where you that was the the head of steam you have coming into his exit, and, um, and so it was really I think for a lot of people 
they probably would look back on it and, you know, why didn't you just keep things the way they were? Everything was fine. Why didn't we just, we had a great thing going. Yeah. I mean, one of the fastest growing churches in the United States, a great communicator, you know, filling all those blanks. Yeah. But I think for him, for me, for the, many of the other elders, pastors, the status quo was not right. Yeah. And, um, but then how do you shut down old vision yeah. to pursue what God's called you to pursue? Yeah. And that's hard. That's challenging. I think we'll just kind of head into our last segment, which is Cornerstone today. You know, you're s- still sitting in the role of lead pastor mm-hmm. 12 years after Francis has mm-hmm. left. Um, mm-hmm. What is Cornerstone today? What is it like? I mean, I know we shared that I was on staff here and it was, that was a, it was a fun filled time. Yeah. Um, what, what is, what is Cornerstone today? What is your role? Yeah. Well, I'm still the lead pastor. From what <laughs> yeah. I, <clears throat> I haven't been fired. That's true. Not what is I your think role? for the first time in 12 years, I've, and it's happened over COVID. There were so many programs and things that just by nature you got to shut down. Yeah. And and people again they they love them and and <clears throat> so all those people attached to those various programs and visions. Just understand this. I know they're passionate followers of Jesus. They yeah. loved it. But um, I think like the beauty of what happened over COVID is it shut down so many things mm-hmm. that were in that Rube Goldberg machine that you don't need. Mm. Wow. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, you, yeah. You suddenly get to remove pieces and go, oh, we're still at the end of it and we don't need all those different <laughs> yeah. working pieces to be able to do it. Yeah. It was a reset button for, I think, for a lot of churches. Yeah. yeah. And I, well, I think for some churches, I think that there were some churches that you saw them really take advantage of that. Yeah. And go okay, like let's 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 really gear ourselves. You know, I think there were some churches really trying to get back to status quo. Yeah. Um, because and I understand why because you're losing people, you're losing money, you're losing all those things that you need. Right. So I, I totally get it. But on the other hand, for for me, it was how do you now take advantage of this time? Yeah. And shepherd people through it, walk with people through it in such a bizarre time. But at the same time my heart hasn't drifted away from discipleship. Mm. And so that's really what we geared ourselves to. How do we reshape a church to make discipleship as the forefront of what you're trying to do? That's crazy. And so a lot of what I'm doing now is just shepherding the process. And it's like I would say over the, since like August, September ish, it is just, it's actually become fun because you're not feeling a lot of the weight of the things you were trying to keep moving. Now I'm not saying we got rid of all the, the, the different things that maybe kept us from being able to do that. Yeah. But there really is much more of a freedom to go after some things. Um, but you're, you're still helping groups of people to capture a vision for something that um, is not our norm. It sounds bad, right? Jesus yeah. left us to make disciples, but yet in many ways, that's not the norm of the local church in some contexts. Yeah. I, can, I can just speak to Cornerstone, but... Yeah. In a lot of ways, that's what I'm doing now. I'm trying to just figure out how do we really authentically create a movement of disciples, not not a megachurch, not um, not these you know whiz bang programs that make us feel good at the end of the day that we did something, but but did we honestly make disciples? And that's yeah. from an assessment standpoint of a local church. I mean, assessing ourselves not based upon the things I, I feel like we used to assess ourselves on, but to really authentically say no. The the, the way we will know whether or not we are accomplishing what God's called us to accomplish is we're seeing disciples made. Yeah. And so that's where, um, that's where we're trying to get and trying to go and realizing though, that that takes a while, you know, to really Mm. develop out because you have to have then equipped people to be able to accomplish that. You can't just do it overnight. So in a lot of ways you have to, you have to really uh, shepherd and walk with people through a process. And that's what we're trying to do is process that. Yeah. 
What would you say that you are like proudest of over the last ten years? Any anything? I'm that still you, here. That, <laughs> sorry, I'm is, alive. That, is that too eulogy esque? I'm or, alive. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know how to answer that. That's a difficult one. It's, yeah. Yeah. I, I do think like across the board, the the leaders, the the pastors, the elders, the people of Cornerstone, there's a true faithfulness, right? And so yeah. I don't know how you can be proud of that because that's yeah something God does in you. But I do think there's been a there's been a faithfulness yeah across the board um, in authentically seeking to follow Jesus even yeah. at great cost. Yeah. And that's been, I think, that I, I attribute that to the work of God that Francis started. I mean, we're living on, I understand this all the time. I'm riding the coattails of Francis. I get that. I'm not naive nor stupid. Yeah. And so those kinds of things, it's just, it's a joy to live in the kind of the, the, the vein of that. But I don't feel we've ever strayed away from that. I, I really do feel like there's, <clears throat> even when we haven't been faithful, there's been an, even when we haven't been faithful, there's been an authentic desire to be faithful. Yeah. Do you still feel that today? Like that, that the, the, like you, the, you said the coattails of Francis, like, do you still, feel, does it still feel like that? I, and I, I, I say that like totally fine. Oh yeah. 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 I don't, I don't mean that as a weird thing. He yeah. like <clears throat> Francis was such a, I mean, in a, on a personal level, a phenomenal yeah. friend. Mm. Like I know if anybody's going to speak truth to me, I would never doubt whether he was going to speak truth to me. Yeah. Um, he, he, on one end, you know, I think feels maybe like what he did. Um, there wasn't a satisfaction in certain aspects maybe with what he did, but mm-hmm. the, he he instituted so many amazing principles within Cornerstone that are still here today Yeah, that that we get to live in the, you know, I guess the, 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 the true fruit of, of that. Mm. And so while Cornerstone is definitely looking much different than what, he would have been the principles haven't changed yeah and so it's you know just that passionate committedness to scripture the com- the passionate committedness to follow jesus no matter what to worship jesus i mean it's just still those things are there and so i i don't say that as a bad thing i sure. i really look at that as a positive i he really set a tone um in what god did through him that i am super thankful for and i yeah. i would say in some ways i'm still here today yeah, because of a tone that got set by yeah. him, um, and so that's that 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 I can say that totally and authentically. Like I appreciate that so much. Yeah, praise God, that's yeah. awesome. You you were given a challenge, man. Like that is wild. The yeah. the transition, <clears throat> making that kind of a transition, and continuing to lead a church to thirteen years later, twelve, thirteen. Yeah, yeah, that's that's amazing. I don't even know. Like I said, it's, <laughs> what's the next step? Yeah. Again, not to make it sound like you're leaving, but thank you for your service, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> for your, all the ministry that you've done. <laughs> yeah. um, I have a question that I like to end with that's just kind of for fun, which is, do you have any uh, recommendations uh, as far as like books go? We also do it fun sometimes, movies or TV shows that you might be watching. Like It's kind of just a, a recommendations section. You can feel free to chime in too if you've got anything. Yeah. What are you, what are you the last right question is dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> Right. I mean, it's like I like to end it on a light note. So. Yeah, you know, you don't want to say like "Sons of Anarchy." Or something, but, um, I don't watch it. But Sons of Anarchy. <laughs> yes, that's when I'm doing my prayer time. Um, you know, there's like so many great books. I I'll just say this: I think the greatest travesty in the church is that we don't involve ourselves in the history of the church. I don't think we know oh, yeah. our family. 
and crazy uncles too, right? We got crazy uncles. <laughs> in our, sure. No, I, I, we really do. And I, I guess the books that I enjoy reading the most are about our family. I love reading church history. I love yeah. reading these people, who they are, um, how God used them, their flaws and foibles. I mean, obviously our, our family that stretches all the way back to, yeah. obviously to Abraham, but there's this beautiful side of our history that I I love, man. I yeah. can sit down and read. I read biography nonstop yeah. because it's just for me, it, it makes me not feel crazy. Yeah. Like, because you, they're sitting there, you know, you're watching their own <laughs> wrestle through whatever they're going through. And yeah. you're like, oh, I relate to that. Like, yeah, totally sure. relate to that. But it's also that reminder that um, we serve a God that's unstoppable. Mm-hmm. And in spite of all the things that have happened in our history, I mean, I, I watched, it was incredible to watch COVID, everybody freaking out. Mm. as if we're the first generation to ever go through something difficult and hard. That kind of upheaval. Or <clears throat> like, yeah. yeah, I mean, but it yeah. was like, what are we going to do? You know, it's like, uh. <laughs> But at the end of the day, the beauty of what I think that does is it reminds you of the faithfulness of God then, the faithfulness yeah. of God now. He'll continue to be faithful. So for me, I mean, it's just, I'm a, I, that sounds so boring. No, it's great. And I'll tell, you, I'll tell you why it's great. I, I don't know if I told you this. I'm a student at EBC. I go to EBC. Um, and I just finished the found the five part foundations no, cool. of, of world thought. Uh, I, I don't know what the official name of it is. Foundations. Um, it's five semesters long and there's so much church history in it. Yeah. You learn about some different religions, you know, it kind of covers the, the gambit of like what people <clears throat> have believed over all of human history, but there's a lot of church history all the way from the Catholic church and, you know, the reformation and yeah. like all the way through. And it was fascinating. Yeah. I read like four different like church history books over yeah. the course of, um, so see, we could geek classes. out. Oh yeah. No, yeah it's but, great. But, I mean, even right now, like the, the place I'm focused on just in reading about was what was going on in the 18th century in the United States. And yeah. because I hear everybody, you know, like, you know, we need to go back to the founding and we need to go this and that. And I, and I, and I wish people read about that because if they went, I'd say, well, what aspect do you want to go back yeah. to? Because not all of it was cheery and lovely and great. Yeah. And I think the way that you're able to then look back on that time and celebrate what was really the good, right? There was, yeah. there was some great, wonderful things that happened. But I think then to be almost honest and say, you know, it's always been a challenge. Yeah. And, and to be full fully devoted followers of Jesus then was you have to be it's the same issues now it's yeah. it's it's not much different yeah one of the books i read was um was America founded as a Christian nation, which was kind of yeah. around that was more uh, see that would be a good podcast yeah yeah like just answering that question <laughs> oh you would get so many different diverse opinions right i mean i was yeah. just meet with a guy you have different ones that are out there like wall builders that really present the united states as this you know pristine one nation under God. Yeah. Where these guys that were the creators, you know, the founders, they were all evangelical followers of Jesus that were passionate, you know? And, right. and when you look back at their lives, you have to be honest and say, eh, they, they, they liked God. They, they, talked they, were, about they God. were cool with God, <laughs> but they were, they were, most of them were rational theists, right? Yeah. They, yeah. they were th- rational first and then theists. They weren't deists. I think, I think we, mm-hmm. we would go wrong on that, but like to go back and go, but that that's okay that we're not, these guys weren't these passionate evangelical followers of Jesus. It's, we don't have to rewrite history. Yeah. We can go back and we can look at it and we can look at the followers of Jesus and what they were thinking through and wrestling through. So I just, I don't know, that, that would be like, if you ever do that one, I'll, I'll sit down with back. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'll, that. that one to me Maybe is get like, a panel going. With yeah. <laughs> a little debate. Any recommendations you want to shout out? No pressure. Oh gosh. What are you reading right now? 
You're reading a lot. What I am, you... I'm reading a lot. 50, 50 books in 2022 is the goal. Good um, night, dude. Good that's you. Thank you. Uh, it's about Do they have one, pictures? About one a week. What was that? Do they have pictures? Um, <laughs> the one I'm reading right now pop does, but it, uh, I assure you it's not a, ch- a children's book. <laughs> okay. um, What's the last one you read? The last one I read, um, I'll, I'll do the one I'm reading right now. Okay. It's called The Body Keeps the Score. Um, it's a psychology book uh, about trauma. Um, so I've heard about this. Yeah. Very interesting. Um, I I wish I could say the author's name, but it is a, it's it's a longer name. Uh, I might be able to dub it in later. Yeah. Say the author's name. (laughs) The author's name is, (laughs) um, anyway, no, it's actually in my bag right now, but anyway, um, yeah, very interesting book. Um, but it does have pictures shows the brain's diagram. And I love a good diagram. What, what, uh, what responses are triggered and what parts of the brain light up. So there are pictures in that book. Yeah. What are you reading? What am I reading right now? I just, oh my gosh, I just finished, um, the devil in the white city. It's history. It's historical, uh, nonfiction. It's about the, uh, 1893 Chicago world's fair. Uh, and there was a serial killer there. Yeah, let's say that's a- the one where everyone dies. Uh, yeah, H.H. Yeah. H. H. Holmes. It's a true story. You're a but sicko, aren't you? Uh, yeah. well, I like history. I'm, I'm reading it for the history. <laughs> that's a, it's a historical, it's a historical uh, no, but reasoning. It, it, I do the history of murderers all the time. <laughs> no, but like most of it is about the building of the Chicago World's Fair, which is that's a fascinating cool. story yeah. of architecture and design, and uh, it's it's. Cool. Didn't he like lure his victims by saying like there was something in his car or something? I, uh, sorry, I'm. There butchering it not cars. cars sorry not cars i'm so sorry say. i'm so sorry i, I saw on buggy yeah I, he, he was like hey come with me here sorry not the cars i'm sorry he had a hotel yeah he had a hotel yeah, h.h holmes um wow. now, now i feel dumb cars i'm sorry i'm asking I'll todd what out. his role is I'm sorry i'll cut that out <laughs> uh, todd what is your role now cornerstone church <laughs> i liked it no his role keep is, that part in it's not just a job title there's different ways to answer that yeah you know that's cool. I won't yeah, read it, but that's cool. It's written. It's written as a fiction, but it's okay. not fiction. It's 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 cool. It's a page. Turner. I won't let my children read it. No, no, no. Yeah. At some point. Uh, so grateful to have a conversation. Thank with you so much, Todd. This is amazing. Yeah, thank you, guys. What a, what a story you have. It's 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 wild. I just thank you. I hope people are blessed, uh, encouraged by this. Uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of always the goal. So yeah, thank you for sitting down, Wyatt. Thank you for uh, co-hosting with me. Of course, first and last time after uh, having the serial killer bring him back to his car is in eighteen. 18- 1860 or whatever it was. Do they have mopeds uh, or what? Yeah. Thanks, guys, for being Thank here. Thank you. Thank you, Todd. Yeah. We'll see you next time on Faith Backstage. Stage.